All Saints Day means all saints all day. Incredible journeys of faith, heroic holiness. Welcome back to great stories about great saints on Relevant Radio. And the Relevant Radio app. We are celebrating All Saints Day with great stories about great saints. Now it's time for a saint you know well. May have even met him in person, spoke to him. If you have a story about Pope St. John Paul II of having met him in person, I would love to hear it. Numbers 888-914-9149. One of my favorite stories about Pope St. John Paul II near and dear to me was that we have a family member, an uncle who is the deacon in the church and uh, had the opportunity to meet Pope St. John Paul II on a couple of occasions. And when he first met, met him, very tall, tall, strong, robust man. And he went to meet the Holy Father, Pope St. John Paul II. And he had the opportunity to say hello and you know, bow down to kiss the Holy Father's ring. And when he went to do so, he knelt down and he couldn't get back up. He said, it was as if I had paralysis. And Holy Father's eyes, Pope St. John Paul II's eyes locked on his and vice versa. And they shared this powerful moment of just truth and love and compassion. I can't remember what the Holy Father said to him at that moment, but what was significant to me was just the the humility of being there before Pope St. John Paul II and his kindness. He said it was as if no one else in the whole wide world existed. There was that connection and love and respect and that blessing from the Holy Father. I was brought to my knees. He said, I couldn't move. The holiness of that man was so profound. If you didn't know this, Pope St. John Paul II, I think this is significant. Pope St. John Paul II lived at a time that's considered the bloodiest century in human history. Under one regime to the next, from German occupation of the Nazis to a communist regime. But let's start at the very beginning. You may know his parents died when he was a very young boy. He was only nine years old, roughly, when his mother died, and about 21 when his own father died. He was, along with his own brother, dying at a very early age. He found himself an orphan without family. He saw many of his friends and family members die in the midst of two wars and regimes that stood against the people there in Poland. He was born, if you didn't know, in 1920, which is significant to me because my great-grandmother, whom I was very close to, was born in 1919. So he seems so real and close to me. He actually, if you didn't know his real name, is Carol Votila, because when you become Pope, you take a name. And he took a name of Pope St. John Paul II after many saints, St. Paul, St. John of the Cross, which is a Carmelite, but also St. John the Beloved Apostle. Now, as I mentioned, he lived in one of the bloodiest centuries of all time. And he went from German occupation of the Nazis to the communist regime. Just looking at some markers in his own life, in 1940, when he was 20 years old, his own studies were interrupted and he had to stop his education because he had to go to work manual labor during World War II. He... in engaged in a secret underground community uh, surrounded in the arts and plays because preserving culture for him and some of the people at that time when even literature itself was being burnt and destroyed, they preserved culture through acting, through theater. 
He entered into the seminary in secrecy when he was 22 years old in Krakow. So he literally was a part of the underground church. He was actually, I didn't know this until today. He was hit by a car in 1944. And I thought that was really interesting. He was even hidden at another time during that same year after being hit by a car in the archbishop's home to avoid being arrested by the Nazis. Now, when World War II ended in 1945, he resumed his studies yet again, but the war wreaked havoc on his life, interrupting his studies, interrupting his time in seminary, leading him to have to literally hide underground from the Nazis who wanted to arrest him and take his life. Now, as a young priest, he went from one regime to the next, then sliding into Soviet communism. Now, think about it. Communism is a rejection of God, rejection of self, rejection of family. The very idea of who you are, you're stripped from any sense of identity, familiarity with family, with, with community, with God. That's what our young people face yet again today. But what I love about Pope St. John Paul II is how his very life Although marked by a violation of freedom, he is a symbol of freedom. He is a symbol of hope in that he lived through the grace of Jesus Christ, a life that fought for the joy, the very joy of the gospel in his life, even in the midst of immense suffering, being orphaned, losing parents, losing friends, losing brother, even being elevated within the church itself to bishop and pope when it was unwanted, undesired. I find in Pope St. John Paul II a rather kindred spirit. He was quite the outdoorsman. And you may know as well these photos of him where he's dressed as just a normal person, even though he was a priest and at times a bishop. And yet, because he lived under this radical anti-God culture where Catholicism was being somewhat tolerated at the time under the Soviets, they watched every move of the people. Now, you may have seen the photos where Pope St. John Paul II, it's actually in my backdrop on my phone, of Pope St. John Paul II just wearing everyday clothes. He's got a face full like Santa Claus of shaving cream, and he's shaving his face out in the woods. What does that symbolize? What do these photos mean? You may see photos of him celebrating Mass on an overturned kayak, camping with groups of young people. Those pictures for me are a symbol of freedom. Do you know the story? Because of Soviet communists, you weren't allowed to be seen out in public with a priest, especially young groups of young people coming together. They were broken up because they would be considered rebellious. He, to help preserve freedom and formation, answer the deepest questions of the human heart and soul, would take young people in secrecy out into the woods camping. He would wear civilian clothes, lay clothes, And he would go by the name of Vuya, which meant uncle. Now, the people who would come with him often didn't even know each other's real names. They wouldn't associate with each other outside of these camping trips, where they go out into the wilderness to celebrate Mass, to learn what truth is, to be catechized and formed. Those photos of Pope St. John Paul II in the woods, camping, celebrating Mass, shaving his beard with a big face full of shaving cream. I'll have to have my producer post a photo. It's one of my favorite photos when he's out shaving outside. They actually called this community in this time in the woods Shrodovisko. It was a reference to a place and a time of interior freedom. 
And when I speak to young people now, I often encourage them because I hear them. They don't feel free. They feel bombarded, manipulated, canceled into truths that violate their very well-being, their bodies, that violate what they desire so deeply, yet at the same time, the desire to fit in is so profound. And so he is in these photos, for me, representation of the freedom that God calls us to. In fact, it's interesting because he advised many, many, many couples. And by the way, the couples he advised and the couples who got married have a 100% divorce-free rate. It's actually pretty neat when you look at some of the statistics of the young couples he married and formed. Now, he, when in these communities out in the wilderness when they called him Vuyak for uncle because they couldn't call him father or be seen with a priest. One day he ends up being called out of his camping trip to be spoken to by the cardinal to find out that he has he was just a priest at the time. He's going to be made a bishop, an auxiliary bishop. And so he has to go from the cardinal to return back to his bishop to deliver the news to his bishop that he is now a auxiliary bishop. And On his way to deliver the news, he is waiting to catch a midnight train and he finds a local convent and goes to the convent, just asks the sisters where the adoration chapel is and if he can just come and pray. And he's there for hours upon hours throughout the day into the evening, late into the night. And he's laying the entire time unmoving prostrate before our Lord Jesus Christ in the tabernacle. And the nuns start to come up to him saying, you Father, are you okay? And there's a story where Father Jan Zeka recites that the story goes that he stayed for so long in prayer deep into the night that the sisters were actually worried about him and they kept checking on him. At one point, they came and roused him for dinner and he begged them because he was so overwhelmed by the fact that he was being asked to be a bishop now. He said, allow me to stay here. I have much to discuss with the Lord. As if he was taking up with the Lord, you know, his, his grievances about being a bishop, but in holy humility saying yes. Now, upon delivering the news after his night train to the bishop that he was chosen as auxiliary bishop, he begged his bishop to allow him to return back to his camping trip with the young people he left in the woods in secret. And the bishop said no initially, but then Pope St. John Paul II there, then Carol Votila begged him, but who will celebrate mass for these young people in the wilderness? And so then the bishop agrees, but you need to be back in time for, and he was just barely back in time for his elevation to bishop. Now, one of the things I think is really neat about these camping trips and all the young people that he formed, they would come to him time and time again for advice and guidance, especially at a time when their freedom was immensely suppressed. They couldn't even be seen out in public with a priest. They weren't supposed to be engaging in groups of youth, and they didn't even know each other's names when they'd go on these camping formation trips. But he would often, they say, never exactly gave them advice. When they'd ask him, Father, what should I do about this? What should I do about this? What are your thoughts on this? He'd turn and look at them and say, what are you going to do? In other words, he would inspire the great gift of free will, but exercising free will for the right thing, that freedom is for the sake of the good rather than the avoidance of commitment and obligation. That in our freedom, we have the ability to thrive, to find joy, and ultimately to find Christ. Now, his privacy was significantly violated throughout the course of his life. As I mentioned, he lived from one regime to the next, seeing friends and family die in the midst of 
German occupation and then into Soviet communism. The Soviet spies actually had considered him a dangerous ideological adversary. They had a special unit dedicated solely to the surveillance of Pope St. John Paul II. Now, during that time, they actually ended up collecting nearly two dozen crates worth of content on all of the information they had been gathering on him. His phone line was tapped. He couldn't even go to the restroom in privacy. His house was tapped. They were listening and watching every single one of his correspondence and his homilies. They were studied word for word, sentence by sentence. It's interesting because in those notes, some of what is reviewed is the fact that they knew he prayed for six to eight hours a day. I think that's very inspiring to see the formation of a man who suffered immensely, was so seriously and violatingly spied on day in and day out, yet he had this humble love for God, inspiration to form young minds who are being stymied in growth toward truth, freedom, and ultimately Christ. He was a part of the battle for souls during a time not just of two regimes, but during the time when radical feminism was on the rise. One quote I love of his where he said, every great work, all holiness is born in silence and recollection. He's inspiring in his prayer life. If you know the stories when he became Pope, His advisors and secretaries and people who would keep his schedule knew that Pope St. John Paul II's heart was so in his mind, in his all of his missionary work, his whole life was centered around devotion to the Eucharist, especially going and being on bended knee before our Lord Jesus Christ in adoration, or even when Jesus Christ wasn't exposed, but he was in the tabernacle there housed. Pope St. John Paul II would turn day and night toward Christ in the sacrament of the Eucharist. So when he'd travel, when he'd pass by a church, a chapel, he'd always insist on stopping and going in. And as the story goes, his advisors would actually have to go and hide the doors to the chapel. They would say, don't tell the Holy Father that there's a chapel there. Don't tell him that there's adoration. Don't tell him where the tabernacle is, because what would happen is the Holy Father was actually notoriously late for many things for two reasons. One, if you were with him, People say time and time again that it was as if no one else existed. He was there and he was present to you and he would take his time with you. So that would often lead him to be late for his next appointment. But the other reason is that if he found out there was an adoration chapel or a tabernacle holding our Lord Jesus Christ, he would always pause no matter what to stop and pray and visit our Lord. He was on God's time, certainly not his own or ours. That was a great inspiration for my friends and I in college. I remember in college, all of us would try to make a daily holy hour to spend an hour a day, even if we were reading some of our faith-based homework in the chapel or sitting in silence. And it was such a joy. It was such a formative time for each and every single one of us and forming us and helping us to discover interior freedom in the midst of the culture we live in and the pressures of the time to help us in rooting out sin by looking at the beauty of our Lord. I encourage you, if you've never read any of the works of Pope St. John Paul II, a great book, easy read, and absolutely delightful to go into with tons of stories, is St. John Paul the Great, His Five Loves by Jason Everett. And he touches on one of those five loves being his love of the Eucharist and how formative that was for Pope St. John Paul II. Now, when he was named Pope, he 
He lived, as I mentioned, a life dedicated to the Eucharist. He confronted everything from second and third wave feminism. He warned against abortion. He called abortion in Europe demographic suicide, which indeed in 1985, little did we know how bad of a demographic suicide we would be in today with much of Europe and here in the United States, we're below replacement level. That would be 2.1 children. We're not even having 1.6 children. And it's worse than places in Europe. He wrote countless letters, a letter to women, uh, a short letter and a longer letter known as Mulieri's Dignitatum, where he writes, looking deeply into the vocation of women, the gift of women. He calls it the genius of women. He very clearly reaffirm the teacher's ongoing teaching and tradition, a very clear tradition on a male-only priesthood, declaring in 1994 yet again the church's teaching that women cannot be priests and must be held definitively. He loved to call himself the feminist pope because he really did speak to the hearts and lives of women at a time when radical feminism was destroying what it meant to be woman, attacking the very idea that our bodies matter, that we're made for life-giving, self-giving love as Jesus Christ modeled on the cross. Yet modern ideologies of feminism reject that very idea of sacrificial love. You do you. What about your career? What about your education? What about the timing of when you want to do things? Pope St. John Paul II, also, I think, very significant and inspiring. I look at I love to look at saints and see how they knew one another. And if you're just joining me, you're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. It's All Saints Day, a solemnity in the church, marking one of the highest feast days in the church. Whenever something's labeled with a solemnity, it's a moment to take a pause and pay attention. And on All Saints Day, we celebrate all of those who are in heaven, those named and unnamed. If you look at uh, the—and I do think this is interesting— in challenging at the same time, those named saints in the church really fall between about 16,000, 22,000. In the course of 2,000 years, that's it. And there's much that could be said if we look at the labeling of who is and isn't considered a saint and getting into Orthodox and saints who were considered saints before some of the Orthodox split off. But that's not that many. Over the course of that time, if you look at this list of saints, it, it challenges you to Ponder how necessary it is to conform your life to Christ, but also to watch who you're friends with. And one thing I love to see is how the saints traveled in packs. The saints knew other saints. They were encouraged and inspired by one another. And one of those profound friendships that I love, and I'm going to post a picture of this, is the friendship between Pope St. John Paul II and St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta. There's a beautiful picture, actually a number of them, of Pope St. John Paul II with Mother Teresa. There's one of which I'm just thinking where they're holding, they're often depicted in pictures holding hands. This beautiful friendship, this, you know, people could refer to them as two very powerful people if you like to think of it in that sense as power. I like to look at them as two very holy people who have given everything to our Lord in service to him in humility. Pope St. John Paul II, who never wanted to be bishop, never wanted to be Pope. St. Mother Teresa, who literally picked up the ill in Calcutta 
the lepers, and cleansed them herself, housed them, fed them. Two saints who had to have been a great encouragement to one another. Why we see them in photos and they're holding hands. There's a picture or posting online. Uh, if you follow me at Timmery, T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E, uh, posting John Paul II, hope, helping St. Mother Teresa in her old age, stepping down the steps after a time of prayer and speaking together. And in 2003, how incredible to see he beatified his own friend, starting the beginning of the steps toward becoming a saint in her beatification in 2003. Just think about that. He was able to be a part of recognizing and marking the miracles of St. Mother Teresa intervening in heaven for those of us on earth. Friends travel in packs, but saints travel in packs too. Who are you friends with? I think that's great inspiration to think of. St. Jerome, New St. Augustine. We have sibling saints, St. Scholastica and St. Benedict. You have the saints family of the Zaley family, or sorry, the Martin family. Zaley and Louis who were the parents of St. Therese of Lisieux and her sisters who entered into religious life, whose cause for being saints are being looked into as well, but her parents are saints. She's a saint. You look at the lives of St. John of the Cross and St. Teresa of Avila, who encouraged one another in their faith, holy, saintly friendships. St. Claire of Assisi and St. Francis of Assisi. Their stories are so inspiring, left alone. But when you look at these friendships, it always challenges me to question, what types of friendships am I engaging in? What types of behavior? What types of conversations? How do I... Encourage people to growth with love. We spoke earlier of St. Alphonsus Liguori and how he led to great reform to bring gentleness and clarity and simplicity to preaching in the 18th century at a time when sermons were rather pompous. Am I pompous in my engagement with those whom I should be inspiring and loving to live and walk in the Lord to chase after his kingdom? If you've not been with us these last 12 weeks, we have been working through the writings of Pope St. John Paul II in his Theology of the Body series. We're on week, I believe, 14, wrapping it up in just just about a month here. And I hope you'll join me because I chose to walk through these wonderful writings of Pope St. John Paul II, who he shared in story or in week after week catechetical talk. If you ever go to St. Peter's each week, the Pope, ever since Pope St. John Paul II and Pope Paul the Pope St. Paul VI, they started giving general audiences. So if you're there in Rome on Wednesday, you can gather in St. Peter's Square and the Pope comes out and gives a teaching lesson. And Pope St. John Paul II, over the course of five years, gave 133 catechetical, ta- catechetical talks known as the Theology of the Body. It's all about human anthropology rooted in our Catholic faith. It's biblical. It's philosophical. It's fantastic. And I will tell you this. It's prophetic for speaking into the challenges we faced in our culture today. And so as we mark this great day of All Saints Day, whether it's Pope St. John Paul II, St. Mother Teresa, St. Alphonsus Liguori, those who have walked before us in faith, let them become our friends. Let them become our intercessors before the throne of God, for that is where they live. And that is where they will help to guide us through their intercession, calling upon the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ to transform us 
to the great love of Christ, love of neighbor. We can't do it alone. We need good friends. And maybe you're someone who says, I don't think I have really great friends. Maybe you don't have great examples of faith in your family. Maybe no one practices the faith or practices it in a way that lives and shows the actual Catholic Church teaching. Well, if you're lonely, if you feel isolated, turn to the saints. Something I love, and I hope you'll remember if you take nothing else away today. When we're at Mass, when we're celebrating Mass, when we're praying the Mass and the consecration, the time of the Eucharistic celebration occurs, all of the saints and angels, all of the heavenly bodies are with us in that church. Take consolation and our great friends, the saints, be inspired and grow to love them so that we too might enter into Christ's heavenly kingdom. Let that be the inspiration and purpose behind the friendships we have. I'd like to share with you now, since Pope St. John Paul II is a modern saint, Pope St. John Paul II, when he visited the cathedral in Chicago on October 4th in 1979, sang the Pater Noster, that's the Our Father in Latin. I hope you enjoy this. Happy All Saints Day. Pater Noster, qui es in Sanctificetur nos. 